So we've assembled to celebrate that evening 2,000 years ago that Jesus was born in a manger. But he wasn't simply born for the manger, that's just the beginning of the story. He was born quite literally to die. Should Christ tarry his coming, we'll all die. But Christ very specifically was born to die. That is why he was born. That was his purpose. Did you realize that? His purpose very specifically, he was born so that he could die in our place. There was no room for Jesus in the manger, and so he was rejected from the town, and he had to be born in the shepherd's cleft. And he would grow up and be rejected by the people when they would scream, Barabbas, Barabbas, release Barabbas, crucify Jesus. He came into this world through the humility of a manger. And his human life exited through the humility of a cross. When he was born into a manger, they wrapped him in swaddling clothes. And when he was crucified, he had no clothes. And the only thing to his name were the garments they stripped from him. And they divided them and cast lots for his clothing. But he was born to die for us. Isaiah chapter 53 talks about that. This, we've heard of the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is really the fifth Gospel. It's written 700 years before Jesus was ever born. The prophet Isaiah wrote it. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said this was the greatest chapter in all of Scripture, and it should have been written on parchments of gold and lined with diamonds. There's actually 66 Gospels in the Bible because every book of the Bible is all about Jesus. But this is as if it were written by a New Testament author, but it was written 700 years before Jesus was ever born. And we see that he was born to die. And we see very th- uh, three specific characteristics about our Messiah. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 1. The first thing that we see about our Messiah, who was born to die, is that he was sinless because he was virgin born. Oftentimes we think that the virgin birth is an incidental doctrine. It is not incidental, it is fundamental, and we're going to see why. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? What is the arm of the Lord? The arm of the Lord is the strength of God. The strength of God is displayed, yes, when he speaks the cosmos, and yes, when he parts the Red Sea, and uh, yes, when he heals lepers, but the strength of God is also displayed in his humility through the birth of Christ. And then verse 2, he grew up before him like a tender shoot. This is Christ. It's like this tender plant, and like a root out of the dry ground. This is how the prophet Isaiah pictured the birth of Christ. Have you ever been walking down the street and you see concrete and out of nowhere you think, how did that weed break through that concrete and spring up? Well, this is how the prophet Isaiah pictured the birth of Jesus. And he pictured this earth is a dry, parched, cracked ground with no life in it whatsoever. But then there's a tender shoot, a tender plant that springs up, that somehow breaks through that dry ground. And that's the virgin birth. That's exactly what Isaiah was talking about. He referenced it again in Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. And he said, this will be a sign to you. 
the virgin will conceive and give birth, give birth to a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, and Emmanuel means God is with us. We read about it again in Isaiah chapter 9, 6, the same prophet writes, For unto us a child is born. This is the humanity of Christ. For unto us a son is given. This is the deity of Christ. For unto us a child is born. This is Jesus being born in flesh and blood. And for unto us a son is given. The Son of God, the Spirit of God, gave birth to the Son. Now, when Jesus was born, that's not when he came into existence. He's been in existence in all of eternity past. But like a tender shoot that broke into the dry ground, that's when he planted his feet on this earth so that he could walk among us and dwell among us. Jesus' mother was Mary. Jesus' father, conceived by the Holy Spirit, virgin born, is God himself. Jesus is therefore the God-man. Before this creation ever existed, Jesus existed as God. And he was born onto this earth as the God-man. You see, Jesus wasn't half God and half man. That would make him less than God, and that would make him more than man. Jesus was 100% God when he was born, and he became 100% man. It's how he could relate with us. He had to be man. It's how he could relate with us. It's how he could sympathize with us. It's how he could empathize with us. He was tempted in every way that we were. Imagine that. How have you been tempted this week? Think about that. Think of some of the temptations that have come against you, and you think, God just doesn't get it. God must be so frustrated with me. God is done with me. No, the Bible says God became man so that he could experience everything we experienced. In Hebrews, we read, he was tempted in every way that we were, times infinity, and yet he is without sin. So when we struggle and we're tempted, God is like, I get it. Jesus is the great high priest who sympathizes with us, and he has compassion upon us. As man, he can sympathize with us in our struggles and our weaknesses, but as God, he was sinless. He lived 33 years among us, and he never sinned once. He was attacked by an onslaught of demonic oppression, and he never sinned, not in thought, not in motive, not in resentment, not in deed. He never sinned, not once. Imagine that. This is why he had to be virgin born. Because if his dad was Joseph, or some other guy in the neighborhood, then he would have had Joseph's DNA. And we can trace that back. He would have had Adam's DNA. And he would have been a sinner just like you and I were a sinner, are sinners. So if Jesus were not God, if he were not conceived by the Holy Spirit, if he were not virgin born, he would not have been sinless. And without the sinlessness of Christ, there is no uh, deity. There is no substitutionary atonement. There is no payment for our sins on the cross. There is no forgiveness. There is no heaven. You see, this is why the virgin birth is not an incidental incidental doctrine. It is a fundamental doctrine. Jesus was virgin born. Therefore, he is deity. Therefore, he was sinless. Therefore, he was the perfect sacrifice on the cross. Therefore, there is forgiveness of sins. Therefore, we can be sons and daughters. Therefore, we are heaven bound. Jesus was virgin born so that we could be born again. 
Jesus came from heaven to earth so that one day we can go from earth to heaven. The Son of God became the Son of Man so that you and I, through our faith in Christ, can become sons and daughters of God. The Christmas story is about the virgin birth. And then we read the Christmas story is also about the simplicity of Christ. I love this about our Savior. Did you know that if today Jesus, the virgin birth was in recent decades and Jesus went through seminary and he were interviewing at various churches, he probably wouldn't get on most church staffs. I'm serious. He wouldn't have the qualifications. He wouldn't be sharp enough. He wouldn't be cool enough. People, he wouldn't have that wow factor about him. He chose to be simple. Let's continue. Isaiah goes on to say, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Isn't that something else? Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Sometimes you see Jesus movies, and isn't Jesus always the coolest guy of the bunch? He's always the coolest actor. He's always the most handsome guy. And, and you see artists, artists and painters' renditions of Jesus, and, and you, can, you can pick Jesus out of the crowd, can't you? They just kind of give it that, that, that God effect, and he always has the dish behind his head. Jesus didn't walk around with a dish behind his head. In fact, when Judas betrayed Jesus, he told the people, the guards who were coming with him, he said, the one I kiss, that's the one. Why? Because they couldn't pick him out of a crowd. Because Jesus chose to take on flesh and blood that was low-key, that was humble, that was simple. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should... Desire him. He didn't have that cool charisma wow factor. Why? Because he didn't want us to place our faith in cool or charisma. He wanted us to place our faith in God by trusting him. Jesus could, he could pull the roof off of this ceiling and he could say boo to all of us. And we would have faith, right? Not really. We would believe, but it would be sight. He wants us to have faith without sight. He wants us to trust him because of his character, because of his love, because of what he's done for us on the cross. Because of the validity of the empty tomb. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces. He intentionally chose flesh and blood that was low-key, that was overlooked. I mentioned today that we had, a, we had a Christmas for some of the kids that we bring to church, and I was holding this little girl. She's a three-year-old named Samara, and I was talking to some parents, and the whole time I was holding Samara, uh, she just kept, like, holding my nose, and she couldn't get over how big my nose was. So she just kept, like, doing that, and I kept putting her hand down. She kept grabbing my nose. I kept putting her hand down. Now, if I were God and I got to chose, choose what I would look like, I might have made my nose a little smaller, to be honest. You know, I've thought about that a time or two. God intentionally played it down. He intentionally played it down so that there would be no confidence in the flesh. It would be all confidence in God. He chose simplicity. And when we follow Jesus Christ, guys, we have to choose simplicity. When we follow Jesus Christ, it's not an invitation to comfort. It's not an invitation to convenience. It's not an invitation to popularity, to coolness to being highly esteemed by men. In fact, if it's not costing us something, we're probably not following Christ. And we need to make sure that we are heaven-bound. Somebody said, Jesus, I want to follow you. Oh, but first, let me go say bye to my family. And Jesus said, he who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of heaven. 
Somebody else said, Jesus, I want to follow you. Oh, but first, let me go bury my father. And Jesus said, let the dead bury their dead. I'm leaving now. Somebody else said, Jesus, I want to follow you, but what are the accommodations like? And Jesus said, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus said, follow me. And he preceded that statement by saying, pick up your cross daily. Are you picking up your cross and following Jesus Christ. If you're not counting some cost, you're not following Christ at all. And the costs that we count are in the name of love. We love in Jesus' name. We share the gospel in Jesus' name. We, 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 we are Christ with flesh and blood in front of somebody in Jesus' name. And that's why we pick up our cross. To spread the gospel, to worship Christ, to follow in righteousness, And to be an extension of Christ's love to people. And in doing that, we have to choose the simple life. And the unfavorable life. And the narrow road. This is our Messiah. He was sinless because he was virgin born. He chose simplicity so that we would rely on God and not flesh. And he showed us how to live to rely on God and not eloquence, charisma, human wisdom. And then the Christmas story is also about the substitutionary sacrifice of Christ. We go on to read. Surely he took up our pain. Surely he bore our suffering. And yet we considered him punished by God. We thought Jesus is suffering on the cross because he did some evil and we are spared the cross because we did some good. But just the opposite was the truth. Jesus was suffering on the cross because he was sinless. And his murderers as well as us were spared because we were sinners. And it was God's grace. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his stripes, those are the lashes, we are healed. There's a story about a village, um, an ancient village, where... Things kept disappearing, and it really got out of hand. Somebody was stealing. And so they, they, they had a meeting, and they had a village meeting. They got everybody together, and, and they said, this has to stop, but it continued, and it intensified. And So the chief and the council got together, and they said, we're going to attach a severe penalty for stealing, and surely the stealing will stop. Whoever is caught stealing will be Uh, Tied up, and they will be beat to death. And the stealing continued. Things continued to disappear, even after that decree was issued. And then finally, uh, the council came to the chief and said, We found the one who has been stealing this whole time. Do you want us to continue to enact the punishment? And the chief said, Of course. And they said, But, chief, It's your son. And the whole village was on pins and needles because they were going to see, well, was the chief going to back out and say, okay, well, let's just beat him real bad, but don't kill him. Or was he going to go through with the punishment and was he going to have his own son killed? 
And everybody was waiting for the chief's verdict. And then finally the chief said, continue with the punishment. Um, Tie him up. So they tied the the son up on on a post. And the whole village gathered around. And they got the whips. And they were prepared to beat him to death. And they looked to the chief to make sure that he really wanted to go through with it. And the chief nodded yes. And then right before they began to lash the son, he held up his hands and they stopped. And most people thought, okay, I thought the chief would back down. He's just trying to scare his son. But then he walked and he stood behind his son and he covered his arms around his son. And then he said, continue the punishment. And with that, they continued to beat the chief and not the son. And ultimately, the chief died on behalf of the son. This is a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God is holy, and therefore the wages of sin is death. But God is loving. Is he really going to go through with it? God's love and God's holiness meet at the cross when the Son of God was born, and then he received our punishment so that we could go free. For example, picture this hand uh, represents God and all of his holiness and love. And this hand represents mankind. And this Bible, it represents Jesus Christ. Well, mankind sinned against God, and God's decree is the wages of sin is death. And so God is going to follow through with this holiness, but because of his love, he places his son on humanity, and then he beats his son on the cross. punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed this is what Christmas is about Jesus was born to die and so on the eve of the crucifixion Jesus said never forget it I want you to be able to savor it I want you to be able to touch it taste it, feel it, smell it, savor it, when you reflect upon what I did for you on the cross, how I absorbed your sin and punishment so you could go free, and he instituted communion. And so we're going to partake of communion together, but I just want you to reflect upon what Jesus did for you, and Cassidy, you can come on up, and Cassidy has a special song, and she actually wrote this song, and it's one of my, I told her, my, probably my top three or five favorite songs of all time. Um, <laughs> And as she sings this song, just reflect upon what Jesus did for us on the cross. Let me read this again. There's four or five things that he takes from us when he died for us. He took took up our pain. He took up our suffering. He, He took up our punishment. He took up our iniquities. He took up our wounds. And as a result, we are forgiven, we are healed, we are whole, we are righteous. Second Corinthians 5.21 talks about it. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we pray that we would uh, be able to absorb the beauty the love, the holiness, the majesty, the power of the cross. Let it do something within us.
Let us be transformed. And let us as a result, Jesus, let us as a result be bearers of your light to take this good news to everyone everywhere and to forsake a life of comfort and convenience for the sake of of, uh, just being worldly and help us to count the cost for the sake of being heavenly minded and to love people in Jesus' name. And Lord, help us to see the cross fresh. If you guys would stand with us and uh, we are now going to take the elements for communion. And uh, so the band can go on and start playing. And what we'll do is we'll start on the very back row and we'll come in these two middle aisles, take the bread, take the juice, uh, but don't partake of it yet because we'll do that together as a church family. And then once you get the elements, then uh, swing around and on the outside rows, aisles, go, go back to your seat. And then when everybody has the elements, then we'll partake of communion together. So if we could start with the back row and, and we can come forward now. I'm going to ask my dad if he would come up here on this side. And Jim Sluck, if you would as well, please, to, uh, to say a prayer. Here's the thing, guys. Oh, you guys come on up here and just stand here. Jesus died so that we could live. The prophet Isaiah said, peering into the future 700 years with such specificity of the cross of Christ that he was tortured beyond the point of human recognition. He didn't even look like a human being. Jesus would rather go through that cross for us than to live in heaven without us. But it wasn't just the cross. It was leaving the comfort, the glory, the splendor of heaven and to take up simplicity, to take up reproach, to take up rejection and to walk among us. It was to be onslaughted by temptations and human flesh and to resist evil and never sin once, not even in thought or deed. This is our mighty Savior. He purchased our salvation with his own blood. We can't add to that. All we can do is humble ourselves and receive it. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And perhaps you've always thought that salvation depended a little bit on you. Maybe partly Christ and mostly you or mostly Christ and partly you. It's all Christ. It's none you. The only thing we bring to the table is a repentant heart that says, save me a sinner. That's it. And immediately you are born again and the righteousness of God and the spirit of Christ lives in you. So we want to give you an opportunity to call on Jesus Christ to save you right now. Would you bow your heads and the whole church pray boldly to encourage the person next to you. Jesus, I know that I've sinned. And thank you for paying for my sins on the cross. And I praise you for conquering death. Come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. I give my life to you. I trust my salvation to you. Amen. And that's what this is about. And so the bread represents the body of Christ that was broken on the cross. And if you would thank Jesus for that, Dad, and then we'll partake of the bread together.
Father, as we come to you right now, we just want to uh, just stop and pause and just thank you and give you give you all the praise, the honor, the glory that you deserve, Father. The, the sacrifice that you gave for us, we praise you for that, Father. It's because of what you did that we have hope. We have hope for eternity by recognizing you and confessing you as being our Lord and Savior and our Jesus Christ. And Father, we thank you for what you did. Father, just pray that you bless his service tonight, Father. I just pray that your presence here, we thank you for being here. We thank you for the Holy Spirit, Father. Father, I just pray that what we do right now and as we lift our hearts and our souls and our minds up to you, Father, that we just uh, just wait for your, your time and glory. Father, we just sit in anticipation, Father, the time that you come again to claim us all. We praise you for that, Father. Thank you, Father, for what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's partake of the bread. As the hymn says, what can wash us white as snow? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Faith in just one drop of the blood of Jesus is enough to cleanse us of 10,000 of the most sinful lives. Through faith in what Christ has accomplished for us on the cross, we are forgiven. We are the righteousness of God. We are heaven bound. Jim, would you thank Jesus for shedding his blood for us? Father God, thank you for bringing us here today. Every birth is abundant in joy, but there's no more joyful birth than than when you sent your son to be born for us. And little did did anyone know that uh, that baby would grow to be a man, a sinless man, um, and would act um, and take on all of our sinfulness on the cross. Lord, thank you for the abundance which you provide for us. Thank you for the support and love of uh, everyone in this church. Uh, Lord, just continue to support us and support each other. And uh, please, Lord, uh, just continue to bless us abundantly. Uh, Although we are blind to that at times, we are abundantly blessed uh, with your countenance and and the goodness that you provide for us. And Lord, we just thank you for giving us your son who shed his blood for our blood. The sinless died for the sinful. And for that, we thank you so much and we love you, Lord. Let's partake of the juice. Jesus' salvation is very comforting. He comforts the afflicted. But Jesus doesn't comfort us to make us comfortable. He comforts us to make us comforters. Let's go out and comfort the afflicted with the love of Christ. Jesus doesn't pour his love and grace into our lives to be a reservoir, but to be a river. Let's share the living water. He doesn't shine his light in our heart to keep it trapped, but now let's become bearers of that light with everyone everywhere, directly in front of us in our peripheral vision. Let's share the love of Christ, the grace of Christ, the gospel of Christ, and comfort the afflicted and bring sinners to our Savior. Let's do that with a passion. Let's count the cost and do that. Let's make this Christmas about that. Let's make 2018 about that. Not just every now and then, 
but let's pick up our cross daily and comfort the afflicted. Pick up our cross daily and share the gospel. Pick up our cross daily and love the unlovable and bring them to a Savior. So I believe we have one more, uh, one more Christmas song, and with that, uh, you will be dismissed.